I was out driving and saw this woman with a bumper sticker on her car. It said, warning, in case of rapture, this car will be unmanned. I started honking my horn, drove up next to her and ducked under the dashboard. <laughs> she almost drove off the road. <laughs> I love rapture pranks. Hey, I want to welcome you to Exposed. My name is Tim Lucas. Yeah, okay, can we hear it now? Good to see you. Wow, all right. Especially if we are with our Morristown campus. Really glad that you are here. Um, and I'll just come right out and make the confession. The confession I have to make is that sometimes I cheat the church. It is true. It is systematic. Some of you know that. Some of you are like, I've seen you hoard the paper clips, the rubber bands, you know, and the communion juice you drink it at lunch. Not that at all. The truth is, it's something I've started to do only recently. Over the last two years or so, I've been systematically cheating the church, and here's what's more. I have no intention of stopping. Uh, and what I want to do is actually, I've become very proficient at it, and what I want to do is tell you exactly how you could learn to cheat as well wherever you work or spend your time during the week. Now, I'm obviously being a little bit tongue-in-cheek here because cheating is a loaded word. There's a lot of negative connotations with that, especially if you've ever been cheated. Uh, you guys know this. Students cheat in school. Adults cheat on their income taxes. Husbands cheat on their wives. Most of us have cheated in a pickup game, sports or two. But at the core, cheating is this. We give up one thing in hope of gaining something of higher value. And typically it's, it's, it's trading something that is intangible, like our integrity, for something that is tangible, like more money. That's why you cheat on your taxes, something like that. So as I talk about cheating today, we're going to talk about this because sometimes cheating could be a good thing. I'll give you an example. Um, some of you, uh, for instance, if you've been on a diet, that's a way of cheating. You are cheating your appetite because you want to look better in your bathing suit. This is a good cheat. You're giving up something short-term for longer-term gain, and you're cheating. You can't have it both ways. You realize that. Now, here's the deal. When it comes to cheating, I want to be totally up front and give Andy Stanley credit. He is a fellow pastor. Uh, he has been an influential leader and really kind of a mentor from a distance in my life, and we had the chance to share lunch together. This is kind of fun because I love how actually uncomfortable he looks while we're hugging. Um, but I want to give him credit for this principle of choosing to cheat for the good of those in your life who love you most. Uh, if you're married, if you're in a relationship, most of us have a relationship with other people in our family, um, this could be life-changing for you because if you get your mind around it, I hope today you're going to see this first in Scripture and then you're going to see it in the text of your own life because sometimes choosing to cheat is the most God-honoring thing you can do in life. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Take your Bible out, and I'm going to ask you to turn to the book of Daniel. This is Old Testament, chapter 1. It's on page 615 if you're following along. And I would love you just to look at this yourself. A little background here now. This is about 605, 600 A.D. Uh, this is 600 years before the birth of Christ. And the Babylonians invaded Jerusalem. You may have heard of King Nebuchadnezzar. He was a ruthless Babylonian king. Basically attacked Israel, completely wiped out Jerusalem. And what the Babylonians typically did is they rounded up all the young men, the best and the brightest who were nobility. They would round them up and take them from their families back to Babylon. And they did this as a way of indoctrinating the next generation. They were trying to take away their Hebrew culture and replace it with the Babylonian customs and learning. So they take the best and the brightest out back to Babylon and actually train these, these young men to serve the king. And then sometimes after that, in the acculturation process, they'd put them back in their homeland 
to basically rule over their own people as vassals or servants of the Babylonian king. So this was their way of kind of getting the culture in there. So 605, here it is, King Nebuchadnezzar goes into Israel, conquers this nation, and brings out these, these four guys. You probably have heard of them if you've ever been to Sunday school. Daniel and his three buddies, Shadrach, Meshach, and... Abednego. Good, you're paying attention. So that's where we are, where we pick up this story. We're going to begin reading at verse 3. Take a look at chapter 1. It says this, Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring in some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility, young men without any physical defect, handsome, kind of like Pastor Tom, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. So bring in these best and brightest. Look at this. It says, He was to teach them the what? The language and the literature of the Babylonians. Verse 5. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that, they were to enter the king's service. Among these were some from Judah. And then you see he mentions Daniel as three friends here. Verse 8. But Daniel, what's the word? Resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. So here's the situation. Daniel is in this foreign culture. He probably is anywhere between 13 and 17 years old. He's just a young man. His family is probably dead. He's been taken out of his homeland. They march him across probably two deserts and back to Babylon where he's a slave. And they begin this kind of indoctrination process for conquered people. They give Daniel a different name. They give him a different haircut. They actually, probably different clothes, and start teaching him a different language and literature to the Babylonians. And at some point, he draws a line and says, that's it, that's as far as I go. You have taken everything Hebrew from me, and the one thing you will not take is my commitment to my God. And the line he draws is by saying, I'm not going to eat the king's food or drink the king's wine. And this is significant. See, it wasn't so much the food as what it represented. Traditionally, the Babylonians worshipped this whole this pantheon of like pagan gods by offering them food, meat, and wine. Afterwards, the leftovers were eaten by the king as kind of a symbol of submission to the greater authority of the Babylonian gods. So, so eating the king's food was actually a way of like saying, I, I'm submitting and acknowledging these gods are the source of my strength, of my, my power, and my wisdom, and everything. So, so when ate this, you really were saying, you know what? Anything good that happens in my life is because of these Babylonian gods. And Daniel says, no. No way. I don't want to do that. I will speak a different language, but I don't want to compromise my commitment to the God of Israel. And so you see, Daniel's facing a dilemma here. Do you, get, do you see this? He's saying, who should I be loyal to? Because the culture's pulling me one way, and God's asking me to go a different way. Who should I cheat? He, he actually could, I can't have it both ways. Would he obey his earthly king or would he obey his heavenly father? My question is, which would you choose? Now, we're in church, so everyone goes, well, I choose God, of course. Shut up, wait, wait, wait. You think about this for a minute. In one corner, you have God, whose scripture says is patient, forgiving, full of grace, kindness, and mercy. Certainly, if anyone's going to cut you a little slack, maybe you could compromise there and, he, and you'd be alive. In the other corner, you've got the Babylonians, right? Ruthless. They already killed your parents. So he's caught between a rock and a hard place, and he has to choose who to cheat. If he cheats the king, you find out immediately, immediate consequence, your head rolls. But if you cheat God, well, maybe nothing will happen. Yay, Jesus. Uh, God's, God's full of love and grace, and hopefully he'll understand. Daniel had to choose. 
Who would he compromise his loyalty to in order to prioritize the other? Somebody was going to end up cheated. The point of relation is this. In this room, every adult, if you are a dad, if you are a mom, if you're a husband, a wife, if you're an employee, a parent, at some point in your life, you are going to be put in a position of responsibility, whether it's, whether it's at home as a husband or as a new father. Or you, will be, well, you will be forced to decide who to cheat because you will have to compromise because you can't have it both ways. Every adult in this room has faced a dilemma like this one Daniel faces. But the issue for us isn't about what food we're going to eat. The issue for us is how are we going to spend the time God's given us? Because the, the, the choice isn't, am I going to eat the food or, or serve God? It's go, it, the choice is, am I going to prioritize my time in a way that honors God by putting my family first? Or am I going to allow the culture to pull me this way and let all the demands of my work and the expectations of this crazy 24-7 workaholic culture go ahead of them? Every single day, you and I make the decision about how to invest our time. And, and we all know there are not enough hours in the day to be all things to all people. So we wind up cheating somebody. The question is who? Who do you cheat? I mean, let me just ask this to you real candidly. I don't know what you do for work, uh, but if you had to do everything that needed to get done at work this week, if you attended every meeting, returned every email, followed up every phone call, made every phone, uh, you know, contact, attended every meeting, how many hours would that take so you went home and there was nothing more to do? How many hours would that be? It's, right, no, you answer, you'd never go home <laughs> because the work is never done. I see some of you nodding. <laughs> if you have a job and you have any modicum of responsibility, you know this, you could work at it 24-7, there would still be more to do. See, the problem is not organization. This little pre pressure release here. It's not your organization. It's not your discipline. That's what people usually say. I just got to get better at my calendar. It's that there's simply not enough time to do everything. I mean, how about at home? If you're a parent, let me just ask this to you parents, okay? How many hours would it take for you to make sure every one of your kids had their little love tanks filled to the brim? so that they're just spilling over, and Dad, how, how many hours would you have to play with them that so much they, they, that they are just like, Dad, I don't even want to play with you anymore. Oh, my goodness. Could you just go hang out with Mom or read the newspaper? I'm going to play in the corner by myself, you know, because my little love tank is bubbling over. It never would happen. I see you just like, you've got to be king. They're little black holes. They're, I love kids, but it's just never a bottomless pit. How much would it take for your wife or your husband to say, hey, my tank's full too? I mean, I'm just spilling. Yeah, oh, there it is. I'm just spilling over. I feel listened to. You have, yeah, I am so content. You have listened, all the chores that need to do or whatever the love language is. I'm so satisfied with what you've invested in this relationship one-on-one. -on -one. How many hours is that? Not to mention your hobbies. If you go to the gym or exercise, sports, whatever other stuff you do. Here's the answer. If, be, be just honest. If your kids got 100% of what they needed, if your spouse got 100% of what he or she needed to fee stay fueled up, and you gave 100% to your work so that you met the expectations of everyone who's asking for something from you, you would never go to sleep. You would be a zombie. You literally, everyone else would be happy, but you'd be falling apart, wouldn't you? Because you're not Superman, you're not super lady, and you simply can't do it all. And, 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 and the reality is, for many of you, it's not about a lack of desire or better scheduling, or just getting up earlier, there's simply not enough time to be all things to all people. And the truth is this. It's impossible to please everyone. 
So at some point, like Daniel, you will have to choose who you're going to cheat, especially when you're in a culture that's pulling you deeply one way. That's reality. Everyone cheats. Every one of you is a cheater. I'm the lead cheater. And at some point in your circumstance, your little story, you're going to cheat somebody. And here's the question. This is the, this is the where are you cheating? Who are you cheating? And maybe more convictingly, who feels cheated? Especially in your family. I know this is a dangerous question. I see the husbands are starting to like look down and stuff. I don't want to try to make you feel guilty. The word, they may not use the word cheated, but they feel that way. They feel like they are constantly shortchanged in your family, kind of left holding the, end of the, the short end of the stick. I'm going to make a prediction here, go out on a limb here. For most of us, it's not our employer who feels cheated. Uh, guys, it's not our, our, our workmates or our business who are like, I just wish you just stayed here later and later. Because our natural tendency is to prioritize the things that actually kind of stroke our egos, and so we tend to cheat at home. I know, because I'm the biggest cheater. My biggest year of cheating was my first year as a pastor. I would come home chronically late because there was always one more person to meet with. Uh, my wife, you know, I'd, I'd tell Colleen, I'll be home at 6, and all of a sudden I'm just meeting with people, oh, it's 6.20, oh, no, no. So I'd wait until 6.30 and then call her and say, hey, was it 6 or 6.30? What? I just refreshed my mind. And I'm on my way, you know, I'm jiggling the keys in the, in the background, you know, you've never done this, right? And then I would wait another 15 or 20 minutes, uh, you know, just to call someone, talk with someone in the parking lot as I'm getting my keys in, all that kind of stuff. And then I would wait until I was a full, you know, hour like late and I'm around the corner. I'd call, call her and say, hey, uh, I'm just around the corner from the store. Did you need anything? Like I'm the hero. I'm just thinking of you, you know. That's called cheating. And the reality is it is disastrous. It is corrosive and it will kill any relationship that hopes to have long-term trust built over time. The truth is, we're all cheating somebody. If you're a stay-at-home dad or a stay-at-home mom, um, it's probably not your children who feel cheated, is it? I mean, if you asked your partner, what would they say? After they got over the shock of the question, like, wait, where, why are you asking this? Would they not say, well, you know, if it's, gosh, completely honest. <laughs> I feel sometimes like a little bit of the time and the loyalty that should be going to me is going somewhere else. We're going to cheat someone. The question is who? Who in your life, your family, feels cheated? The dirty truth is this. When we choose who to cheat, like Daniel was forced to do, we typically choose the person who we think will be most understanding. Nod your head if, you're, if you, you, you get this. And if you're married, the first person on that list is typically your spouse. It goes like this. Honey, I'd love to have dinner tonight with you and the kids, and, uh, but, you know, client just flew in. I'm sorry, i got to stay late. Do you, do you mind? Do you, do you under, can you please understand? And she does, or he does. Reverse it. Honey, I'm glad you're home, but I shot. I'm shot. <laughs> I chauffeured those kids around all day, went to school, soccer, ballet practice. I cleaned the house top to bottom, had kids, other kids over. They came, wrecked it, and I see you're all hot to trot tonight, but I'm shot. <laughs> and I just need to veg and watch TV. Is that a please, just pl please under? stand. The reality is, if you're a good husband or you're a good wife, you do. You do understand. Everyone has limits and we all have shortcomings. But the problem is this. When we say, you know I love you, baby, and the kids, you know, but I'm staying at work, what we communicate is, you are so important to me, but my work is much more important. That's how it's emotionally processed. We say, you know, you are my number one priority. But it feels emotionally like the people 
at work are your priority. The people who are strangers on the other end of the telephone are your priority. Going to the gym is your priority. That's how it gets processed emotionally inside here. That's how it feels to the family members who gets cheated. It doesn't actually matter what we say. Hey, I wish I could be at your game, son. I'm so proud of you, champ. That's, that's, that's what we say. But there's something a little more important than you. That's how it feels. And this is tricky because so much of this is well-intentioned. I just want to call that out. If you're a hardworking man or woman, I'm not trying to make you feel guilty. This is not a male or female issue. Ladies, you may say to him, you know, you're my first love. You are my number one. But the kids ran me ragged today, and what he hears is you're important. Take a number, though, <laughs> because the kids are at the front of the line. And over time, it is devastating to a relationship. I want to show you how this rock works. I'm going to invite my assistant, my trusty assistant, Sim, come on up here because we've actually got this. This is hilarious. One of our last uh, made uh, safety additions here. I'll show you how this works. Here's a rock, and if I called you up here and I said, hey, I'm going to put this thing in your hand, I'm actually going to ask you to just kind of stand here and hold it for me. Uh, where, how long you want me to hold it, Tim? Well, I just got to go over there for just a little bit. Minute. You'd be a good sport because you know me. You trust me. You're like, okay, dude, that's, it's actually getting heavy already in my hand. You can watch. Uh, fortunately, I have an oversized right bicep, you can see. But the... Uh, <laughs> You'd hold it for a while, wouldn't you? You'd be like, yeah, all right, dude, nope, 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 nope. Where are you, go are you coming back? Coming back? All right, just hold this, hold. okay, I'll hold it. And you would hold it, and you would hold it, and you'd hold it, and you may have all the intentions of holding this rock. You can see my hand now starting to go indefinitely, but at some point in this moment, what would happen? Seriously, what is going to about to happen? My arm is getting very tired, and no matter how much I want to hold this rock for you, Tim, I just, want, I just want to do it. At some point, my physical weakness is going to overtake my mental willingness in what? The rock's going to drop. And when it comes crashing down, I would come rushing in. I'd say, what would you do that for? Why'd you drop the rock? We focus on the event, not the process that led to the smash-up, when the problem is the process over time. You say, well, dude, gee, I'm so sorry, dude. I didn't want to drop it. I wanted to please you. I did my best. I was being patient. But after a while, I just, I just, I couldn't take it any longer. It's the exact same thing when we ask the people we love in our life to be understanding. We're asking them literally, hold on. Honey, I know it's crazy right now, but vacation is coming. Just, 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 just oh, just hold on. You know, you know one, day, one day when I finally land the big deal, one day when mommy will, will be able to you know, be home, we, we, you know, when the kid, kids are older, just hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. And you know what? Our husbands and our wives and our children, because they love us, they try to be understanding. They say, okay, okay, I'm doing my best. I'll, I'll hold on, I'll hold on, I'll hold on. But over time, their emotional limits overtake their mental willingness. And it all comes crashing down. And when it does, many of you call me or call Pastor Tom or call Pastor Mike and say, I don't know what happened. I got to meet with you. What happened? Out of the blue, she walked in and said, I don't want to be married to you anymore. Out of the blue, I don't understand it, Pastor Tom. I don't. When I counsel couples in crisis, that's how the story typically goes. It begins this way. Suddenly, I don't know. She, was, she just lost interest. I don't get it. All of a sudden, he doesn't pay attention anymore. It's like we're just roommates or something. I can't explain it, Pastor. I thought everything was going fine. She was holding that rock. She was holding, holding, holding. I even asked her. She said, no, I'm fine. Then out of nowhere, our sex life vanished. And our tennis friends are just more important than me. It's never the moment. It's always this process. Today in this room, 
people listening online, there are husbands, wives, and children who are holding this thing, and right now, literally, they're saying, I'm willing, I'm willing, but I don't know how much more I can take it. My, my patience, my, my emotional limits, I want to do this for you, are about to overtake my mental willingness, and I'm about to tap out. Here's a guarantee. After today's service, people will come up to me and say, man, I wish I heard that three years ago. That's the truth. Because sometimes, when the rock drops, it can't get put back together. It's not a matter of just picking it up and starting where we left off because sometimes the rock actually just shatters. And so my point is very simple. If you're going to cheat somebody, and we all are, you have to choose to cheat the right person. And the truth is, Daniel demonstrates to us the right person is never the person who we think will be most understanding. If it comes down to choosing whether to cheat our family or to cheat at work, choosing to cheat at home is never the right choice. And honestly... That's why I choose to cheat the church, sometimes. <laughs> See, God has set up families in a very clear order of priorities. The, the, the Bible says that we are first to love with all our heart, soul, strength, and mind. Who? Who's number one? God. Good. Number one, loyalty to Christ. Second is who? Your spouse, if you're married. It's not the kids, okay? I know some Americans think their kids come first. We are child-centric, like they're before the marriage, but they don't. <laughs> Okay, a child-centered home is actually a surefire way to ruin your relationship, your, your wife, your husband. He or she was given you as a gift from God himself. She is your bride. He's your husband. He's the head of the home. And I understand your kids are cuddlier than him at times. But in God's economy, he or she is at front of the line. And the third are your kids, if you have them. Because they're the fruit of your marriage. They flow out of this, this gift of love God gave to the two of you. And I know it gets crazy. We've had a couple people on staff just give birth, and it just goes crazy. Everything gets turned upside down. You add a newborn to the house, or you add a second. Pastor Tom just had a third. You add a fourth, a fifth, a sixth. That's just in case we have Mormons here. Whatever ha The truth is, here's the truth. Sorry, cheap shot at the Mormons. The, the reality is this. It's what, it started with the two of you, and guess what? Someday, it's going back to the two of you. That's where it's going to end up. And here's the reality. If you spend those prime years just letting the kids gobble it all up, focusing on them, love will do a slow leak, and you begin settling for that arrangement where you're just friends or roommates but not lovers, and, and when those kids leave, guess what's going to happen? There goes the whole reason for staying together. The order is God, your spouse, your kids, and finally, your work. In my case, that happens to be the church. And this is where I want to just get completely... Um, transparent and be honest with you about my failings. Um, married men, I'll just talk straight to you guys. Um, the reason we choose to cheat at home, I'll just be real candid, is because our wives are amazing. Can I get an amen on this? This is yes. My, my wife, okay, a little smatter of applause for the ladies. Guys are like, I feel like you're going to drop the hammer though. Okay, what's going <laughs> to Here's the deal. My wife, Colleen, just real candidly, she is an incredible woman. I am not saying that to score points for later. That's not, she is amazing. She is high capacity in, in every way. I mean, she can carry a lot of rocks and do it very, very elegantly. She's very understanding. She not only runs our home. If you've been there, it's, kind of, you know, it's, a, it's a very comfortable, just kind of nice place to live. My, me and the kids, she takes care of our two kids, brings them to school, takes them home from school, takes them brownie troops. She leads the troops. She takes them to swing, all that stuff. And on top of it all, she works. She works part-time, two days a week, 
she hoofs it into New York City at Midtown Manhattan. She's been there for about 11 years. And because she's been there a while, her schedule is, 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 is actually flexible. It actually works out well, so the kids kind of get the prime cut first, and, uh, and she's always there for them. But here's the deal. That's a lot of rocks. Think of what I just told you. And on top of it all, she has this one big lump of coal, the biggest rock in the bunch right here, right? Now, she is a high-capacity woman. If she had a theme song, it would be Brick House. You remember that? She's a brick. You remember this? Mighty, mighty, letting it all hang out. Here's the reality. Here's the truth. Here, listen, back, back. <laughs> Follow with me. ADD people love this sermon. They're like, wow, this is <laughs> Over the first few years of our marriage, I mean, just can it soberly, I cheated on her. Something awful. I had an affair with this church. Hear me carefully. I was not physically unfaithful. I did not give my attention or my affections to another woman. Ministry was my mistress. And I didn't even realize it at the time. There was no single moment where I walked in and said, you know what, hey, honey, I've been thinking about it. I've decided to put the church ahead of our marriage. It was a gradual process, most of it innocent. If you are in business, you've ever started something, you're an entrepreneur, you know what happens. You're starting something from scratch. It just The hours are limitless. There's no limit where you can put in. And when we launched this church back in 2007, it was like full bore, whatever it takes. We loved it. This was my baby. I had great teammates. We loved working together. We still do. But launching like a full-blown church, that was crazy. We started with like eight people in a basement, and all of a sudden there's hundreds and now over a thousand. Then we needed like childcare and group leaders, bylaws, what are those, a budget, all that stuff. And my wife, Colleen, was understanding <laughs> She said, it's like we're having a baby. I was like, that's a good metaphor. It's going to be about nine months of craziness until this launch in Easter. And it was insane. All our talk and our time went to this. And then, boom, we launched. And I went, woo, glad that's over. Because I assumed it would settle down. But it didn't. It got worse. Some of you showed up. It was great. More people, more problems. And Colleen was understanding at first because she just held that rock for a long time. She held it through that first Christmas 12 months. We're going to start a second service, a third service. All right, all right, Tim, I just go for it. Jesus, go. I'm just trusting you. Please, okay, I'm holding. Then a second campus, and I'm, 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 I trust you, Tim. Go, go, go. Because of her character and her love for me, she did this. And she stood there holding that rock as I'd come home day after day watching as all my first fruits went to the church and would come home and offer her leftovers. Mind if I meet with one more, one more family, sweetheart? Steal a little here, a little there. I'd bring my laptop to bed. I'd sneak emails during dinner. And she held it. And she held it. Until one day, through no fault of her own, she just couldn't take it anymore. And I remember the day she broke down crying on our couch in our living room, crying. And I couldn't stop it <laughs> with another promise to, to, I'll try better. I'll be home on time next week. Or, or I couldn't stop it because she realized the work will never be done for you. And she realized it had become my first love, my priority. No matter what I said, she was numb to it. That was a painful moment in our marriage. <laughs> I remember sitting on that couch looking at this woman who I, I stood before God and I vowed to honor and cherish and, and she's in tears and I couldn't understand what happened because everything was going along fine until like all of a sudden... It's not a single event. It's a process. And who you choose to cheat is a choice. 
I didn't even realize I was choosing. I'd never intentionally choose to do that to Colleen. She's an incredible woman. It was the process that was the problem. I didn't get that. So I tried to make, like, cosmetic changes. Well, you know, I'll be home on time next week. Maybe I can set an alarm or something. I promise. And when that didn't work, I got defensive because, I, because I, you know, I, I, I didn't understand. I was like, why are you making such a big deal about this? You think I like working late all the time? And she's like, yeah, you know what? I do. And you know what? She was right. It wasn't about lateness. It was about loyalty, where I was giving my heart. And regardless of what I wrote in her Valentine's Day card, the truth is, the church was my first love. And ministry had become my mistress, and my wife felt cheated. Rightfully so. Men, let me, let me talk directly to you uh, a minute. And then ladies, I want to talk directly to you. Um, I understand, guys, why, why we cheat at home so we can have more time at work. I do, because it's, it's understandable, because our wives are unbelievable. <laughs> they are patient and supportive, and they can hold it and hold it and hold it, and it's amazing how much they can carry and the weight they can bear. But sometimes, and sometimes, honestly, just guys, let's be honest, we are so checked out emotionally. We walk in, we look around, and she's kind of holding these things up, and if the dishes are done, the house is orderly, it's like, hey, is everything okay here? Yeah, I'm doing fine. Okay, off I go, you know. The reason we shortchange our marriage instead of shortchanging our work is because when you shortchange your marriage, there's no immediate consequence, is there? I mean, if you shortchange work, we, we're afraid of what will happen. I might make less money. I won't be recognized. I won't, I won't hit my sales goals. I won't get the promotion. But when you cheat at home, there's no instant consequences. You don't see the results, do you? Like right now, if I today, I just magically gave you a gift of two extra hours this week, in every day, in your day, right now, think, where would you spend that? If you're like me, you probably will think, well, probably at work, because you'd have something to show for them. You'd like, well, I had two hours, emails got written, contacts were made, meetings were held, I got extra. I'd have something to show for it. But two hours at home, what would you have to show for that? There's no parade. You're just home. <laughs> Those two hours go by, ain't nothing to put on a chart, nothing to count. You come home early, no one's throwing an awards back. In. Woo, dad's home early, order sushi, bring everyone in. We're not. There's nothing measurable. So the temptation is to say, God, please fill in the gaps over here because I'm most needed and have the most impact over there. Men, you've got to learn to cheat at work instead of cheating at home. You're going to cheat on someone, and like Daniel, you will have to choose to be counterculture no matter what the cost because there's not enough time to be loyal to all. And I think, this, I think this goes without saying. I, I, I think I get this, but I'm going to say it anyway. I'm talking to mature men here who are overcommitted and have multiple responsibilities. If you're young, you're in your first job, you're in your 20s, this ain't for you. You just need to work your butt off for like a decade, okay, at this point. I'm, I'm dead serious. I'm dead serious, okay? You don't, don't make this as an excuse for license. Like, yeah, I don't want to work a lot of hours. I'm going to cheat and everything. This is not an excuse for slackerdom, Okay. You work hard and you need to work hard to earn respect and land a lady before you have a right to cheat. I'm going to touch on this next week. Daniel was a young man and he had an incredible, incredible ethic. But if you're married and you've got kids, it's a crazy trade-off when you think about it. We take advantage of the loyalties of our families so we can be more loyal to a group of people who are less loyal to us. Think about that. It makes no sense. I'm going to abuse the loyalty of people who I'll be with for eternity so I can give more loyalty to a group of people who would throw me under the bus if I didn't hit my marks. Or if, okay, let's just be honest. Or if costs ran over, 
they would replace me with someone cheaper like that. It's craziness. And so we pile more rocks on top of those who need our loyalty most. Bottom line, guys, you've got to learn to cheat at work instead of cheating at home. Because one day, God forbid, they tap out and boom. And it can't fit back together again. That's why I've asked some of our staff members actually to be here today because I said, I want you to sit in this room and hear this message and hear it coming directly from my lips. Better you cheat this church than you cheat your family. You hear that? We're making sense here. Now, ladies, at the risk of being unpopular, I'm just going to push you a little bit because there are some of you ladies, maybe you, maybe you work outside the home, maybe you work full-time, and the reality is you may need to scale back so you can be available more. You know how I know that? Here's a, it's not because I'm a male chauvinist or I got something against women in the workplace. I told you my wife worked. It's because I talk to a lot of ladies who feel intense pressure to bringing in a certain income so that the family can live at a certain level. And they try to do it all, and you can keep all those plates in the air, but in your heart you know work gets your most productive hours, and when you get home you're just putting patches on things and filling in the cracks and keeping all the balls in the air and... Especially if you're single, if you, or a single mom, it's double the challenge, double. It's not sustainable. You put up with it because the rationalization is that the family needs money more than it needs you, and it's a lie. You may need to cut back. You know what? Because your husband needs you more than you both need a vacation. Your kids need you more than they need extra money for piano lessons. Again, this is nothing personal. My wife works. I'm not against women working. I got no dog in that hunt. But I do have an interest in families in our church having marriages that actually work, that are not holding on by a thread, but actually thriving. Don't make that trade. Your husband and your kids don't want the dollars. They want you. Don't cheat those who are most important to you. You mean... I get what this means. It's scary, right? It's scary. Just be honest. Right now, some of you are kicking back and you're like, dude, I live in New Jersey. That'd be great in your little la-la land, plaster. That's great. That's not how that... I know. What do you think Daniel felt? No, you don't, you don't understand. The Babylonians, the Nebuchadnezzar... The ones you love right now, some of them, are holding on and holding on and holding on. They're being patient. They're being understanding. But sooner or later, their limits are going to overcome their mental willingness and you're going to hear a crash. And we'll be here to help you pick up the pieces, but it's not going to be pretty. I'll tell you that from experience. For those of you who don't work, your stay-at-home mom, just again, the, just the principle. I'm going to come right out and say this. Some of you are cheating your husband for the sake of your children. I see this all the time. And sometimes it's because of the way we were raised, you know, it's all about the kids. But sometimes it's really just because your, your husband's always working. You're just mad at him. <laughs> so consequently, your primary focus is on your kids, and your husband actually feels cheated. Both men and women, this is a truth that I believe, I believe this with every fiber of my being. Listen to this. The greatest gift you can give your kids is a healthy marriage. And if it comes down to cheating your husband or your wife or cheating your kids, you cheat your children for the sake of your marriage. Let me tell you why. Because your marriage is the single most powerful factor that determines the personal security of your kids. It is a single, you may want well-educated kids. You may want well-rounded kids. But guess what? Above everything else, you want secure kids. And the health of your marriage translates into security for them and like nothing else. And it's, it's personal security that allows them to say no to drugs, no to alcohol, no to the wrong kids, you know, no to the pressures out there. It's their sense of security at home 
that enables them to actually have boundaried interpersonal relationships with other people, and eventually their own husband or wife. The greatest gift you can give your kids is a healthy marriage. That's why at some point you're probably going to have to cheat your children for the sake of your marriage. Colleen and I did this um, a couple weekends ago. We went, we went for an overnight getaway. We do this probably, we do, I'd love to do it more. We probably do it like every seven or eight weeks. We, but, but, but every time we do, guess what happens? Our little girl goes, no, mommy, don't go. And my little boy goes, we need you. No, mommy. And you know what? They're being honest. They do need their mommy. But guess what? Daddy needs mommy more sometimes. The secret is when you cheat your kids for the sake of your spouse, everybody wins. Because we come back and then the leaves of our marriage are green again and mommy's a better mommy and daddy's a better daddy and guess what? The kids are double blessed because they see like we're in love, we're committed to this thing and there's nothing. Kids feed off of that. They can't articulate it. They don't know how to say it. But it's the entire linchpin to raising a healthy kids. I'm convinced of it because it models what love's supposed to really be like. It's like it's unbreakable. It's not gonna, no one's going to go away. No one's backing out. It's, 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 it's hard work. It requires sacrifice. But they see that thing. Don't fight each other. Fight for your marriage, because if you don't, it will wither on the vine. That's a fact. That's natural entropy. And that's not the legacy you want to give your kids. It's not. So love your kids most by loving your spouse more. On Wednesday, I did something scary. I asked my wife the question I'm going to ask you to ask your family this week. We're in bed, and the light's there and everything. I said, hey, sweetheart, you know, I heard a little bit about it. I was going to share just how I've hurt you over the years. She's like, oh, it's about time. <laughs> She's like, I'll be there on time. You know, I, kinda <laughs> I said, but honestly, I said, can I ask you just real candidly, bring us up to date. Where do you feel cheated? And I didn't get defensive. I said, when, when do you feel cheated? That, I mean, that painful season is now in our rear view, thank God. I've got a ways to go, no doubt. Next week, I'm going to get into now specific Steps you can take because Daniel does something brilliant here. So countercultural. It's, it's amazing the outcome of this thing. I want to show this to you. But do you know what she said to me? And some of you ladies, you're gonna, you're gonna, I, I, I'm guessing you're going to identify with this. She said her struggle is not to pick the kids over me. She has a tendency to cheat between the kids and our home because she wants the house to be a certain way. She wants it to be clean and organized, and nobody loves clean and organization more than me. I am root all for it. But she acknowledged, she said, you know what, sometimes I feel like I cheat you and the kids in order to keep our home in a condition that pleases me and makes me feel good on the inside. She said, if I'm going to cheat, I'm going to have to actually cheat cleanliness, or I'm going to have to cheat organization, and I'm going to have to cheat pride in the way our home looks for the sake of investing that time in you and our kids. And look, no one likes it more than me when, when the house is neat. But you know something? I can tell when she's wrestling with that on the inside. And I'm guessing some of you ladies struggle in the same way. And I know what you're thinking. Some of you are thinking, I don't know that I'm coming back next Sunday. I don't like this. This is, this is painful. This is honest. It's called exposed, okay? Hang in there. Here's the question. Here's the conversation I want the families in our church to have this week. In your life groups, Tonight, around the kitchen table, before you turn out your bedside lamp, ask this series of questions to one another. Where are you cheating? Who are you cheating? Who feels cheated? Men and women, you owe it to yourself and to your family to find out the answer to that question. Because our dilemma 
is the exact same as Daniel's. The culture is pulling this way, God's pulling another way, and we can't have it both ways, can we? So next week, you're going to see the steps to solution because this is an incredible story. I've always just read it one way, but God opened my eyes up to this. Daniel does something here, and he cheats. He cheats in a way where he chooses to honor God and his priorities. And, and I understand right now, some of you are like, I don't think things can get better. You've actually touched a painful nerve right now. Maybe God has put his finger on a problem right now, and you feel that tension in your family dynamic. Or maybe you've assumed, dude, I, I think it's as good as it gets around here. We've had this talk. It's not by a long shot. Next week, the decision Daniel makes and the step that he takes are an act of bold faith that are counter to the Babylonian culture. And here's the deal. You will have to ask God to give you the same spiritual courage and tenacity to take the steps that are counter to our culture. But when you do, it's not just a domestic decision you're making. You are making a spiritual one as well. Because when you choose to put your family first, you will bring your priorities in line with those of your heavenly father. And the secret of Daniel is this. When a man or a woman surrenders his or her will to the fathers, steps over compromise and stands on principle, God says, I'm in. Now I'm taking responsibility for the outcome of your journey together. So if you're struggling, listen up. God has so much more for you than you are currently experiencing. He had more for Colleen and I. And he longs to give it to you. Part two next week, I can't wait to share it with you. Let's pray together, okay? Father, I just thank you right now. Tough stuff, heavy stuff. I want to thank you for truth. I want to thank you for transparency, God. This is a place where we can be honest and open about our shortcomings. Um, we know that in Christ you accept us exactly as we are. That's grace. You forgive us. But Father, you love us too much to let us stay that way. So I thank you right now for opening up our hearts today, this principle in Daniel. And I pray for the families here, the husbands, wives, the pressure. Um, would you just give them right now, even leaving here, the strength that allows them to have a dialogue that is open and honest and vulnerable because it's worth it. It is worth it, God. You long for relationships to flourish because they are a picture of your commitment and love to us. So give us eyes to see. Encourage as we leave this place to commit to your priorities. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.